security is a key component of transformations that can't fail. There's so many change attempts out there, but I think the key thread between all of them, even if the the transformation or the, the change that someone is striving for doesn't ultimately take effect, you know, hopefully we figure out quickly why it didn't happen or what have you. Throughout each of the change items, we have to have security in the mix and that key piece cannot fail. So Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm Des Blanchford, your host. Today, I have the privilege of being joined by two subject matter experts from Broadcom in the security area. Let me introduce them uh, one by one. I'm joined by Mary Ann Furno. Now, Mary Ann is the offering manager at Mainframe Security for the Mainframe Division of Broadcom. Mary Ann, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks, Des. Great to be here. And we're also joined by Chip Mason, who is the lead for Mainframe Security and Product Management. Chip, great to have you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for inviting me, Des. So we're going to have a fantastic conversation today around the whole topic of security and a range of key things from business challenges to technology and other associated areas that we want people to start thinking about given the challenges that the world's facing right now, both under the pull of a global pandemic, but also a significant number of changes in the way organizations are operating and the way that the technology we're using to do our jobs is being used and some of the flow on impacts that's brought about. So Marianne Inferno leads the portfolio level strategy and works to evolve Broadcom mainframe security portfolio to meet evolving market needs and customer requirements. Marianne's worked in the enterprise software industry for about 20 years, a couple of decades in engineering and product management and brings a business voice to a fairly technical topic. Originally from Ohio and now resides in the uh, suburbs of Chicago, which we'll get into in a moment. And Chip Mason's got about uh, 20 years of experience in the software industry. Chip leads strategy and product definition for mainframe security products in Broadcom's mainframe division. And in this role, he works to guide integration and product development towards delivering uh, valuable security solutions, as well as acting as a subject matter expert in assisting customers to ensure security and compliance. Chip also has experience across a number of other uh, enterprise IT areas, particularly uh, security management, software development, uh, service management, uh, event management, and Chip's also certified in Scaled Agile Frameworks and ITIL. And Chip's from Raleigh, I believe, and North Carolina, I think it is, where he and his family uh, live. And I think, like me, you're a photography buff. Uh, great to both have you on. I wonder if we could maybe start with, uh, before we get into some of the, the big topics that we're going to talk about in the security space, just to maybe get a little bit of background on yourselves. Uh, Chip, I wonder if we could start with you, maybe a little bit of background on yourself personally, kind of you know, where you're originally from, and, and I guess uh, you know some of the things in life that sort of uh, excited you to go down this career path and think about getting into business and technology, particularly in the security event. I'm in North Carolina now, but I haven't, haven't been here forever. I grew up east of here, sort of on the coast of North Carolina, which is in the south in, in the United States. And uh, so I grew up in the deep south, if you will. And I learned early on um, that uh, sitting behind a desk is going to be much more favorable to working in the field or anything else. Uh, I, I literally, uh, as a summer job, decided I was going to pick cucumbers for one summer. I was going to make my fortune. But when I uh, picked all day long, and made 11 cents. That quickly changed my mind, and I decided <laughs> that uh, I wanted to do something else. Um, I, I, after uh, school, I, uh, I studied um, uh, in science and then eventually got my business degree. 
But after that, I, I moved to Philadelphia, which uh, in the United States is north, and we have much different accents in Philadelphia. So I kind of that's kind of wiped my southern accent away. But um, yeah, that's that's what I did. And, and like you, um, I, I'm an avid photographer and have have done a lot of that. In particular, I enjoy uh, watching what's called sports car racing. Um, if you think of Le Mans or, uh, the Ford versus Ferrari movie, you'll know what kind of cars I'm talking about. And, right. and I love to take my camera and take a lot of pictures. So I have millions of pictures of cars that I would all look the same, but I enjoy doing it all the same. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm a car buff myself, a formula one nut, but also like 24 hour races are pretty cool. Cause you get to see all these performance challenges that you don't normally see just in a couple of hours of going fast in circles around tracks. And Marianne, I wonder if we can maybe get the same sort of background yourself, you know, a little bit of background of kind of where you're from originally and how you came to where you are now. Any sort of any particular things or any person that sort of inspired you to get to where you are now in this amazing role and, and what you do for fun just to kind of blow off steam and, and feel normal again? Unlike Chip, I haven't spent any time in the South. My um, I grew up in Ohio, just outside of Cleveland, as you mentioned earlier. So cold weather there. I came to Chicago when I went to Loyola University and then kind of became a transplant here. So I've lived here since graduating. I kind of stumbled into the IT career because I started off with a degree in chemistry and did that for a stretch of time. And then took a job in banking for a bit when interest rates in the United States were at a all-time low and uh, so many people, if you had fast fingers and you could take loan applications, you could just make a ton of money. But then I transitioned from that role into IT and helped develop as a, a business advisor for the um, a mortgage website. And that was my foray into IT. And I've been there ever since. So uh, very interesting. And um you know, I've 18 years later, almost 20 years later, here I am. Wow. What I love about what you both shared there is, is the diversity of your backgrounds. Cause I think one of the most important things in, in business in particular, but certainly security and, and the technology space and that is to kind of come from a, an interesting enough background that you can look at problems differently. I think we've had, um, I guess a, a fairly um, young generation of people entering security now where they've sort of come straight out of college and then union straight into maybe a degree or something and then into the job and haven't necessarily had enough travel or diverse background. And so often they kind of get stuck with certain challenges. I'm finding people with very diverse backgrounds, interesting backgrounds, doing everything from, you know, picking fruit as it were in my case, when I was a kid through to digging ditches, my dad tried to teach me that manual labor was not the place I wanted to be to, you know, dropping out of uni and regionally and traveling around the world, giving a really different look at the planet around us and the challenges that we could be facing and just a whole new view on security. Chip, I wonder, I'm really interested in kind of how people come to their career paths, particularly the academic background. I wonder if you could maybe give us a little insight into how you kind of got through sort of your academic journey and what were some of the key highlights that sort of focused you on this particular space, both in business and technology? I chose um, uh, chemistry uh, as my degree in undergraduate school. And and that was based on, you know, a, a chemistry teacher in high school who really inspired me. And, and uh, you know, I had a great interest. In fact, um, I was at one point thinking of getting a PhD in that subject and, and actually worked in industry 
for a number of years, which changed my mind on wanting to become a PhD. But I, I learned that um, essentially that I, that I was more interested in running the business than, than actually being the research and, and chose to go in and get an MBA as, as part of that. And, but always kept my foot, uh, one foot in the science area. So when I graduated with my MBA, I, I went into um, the, the closest thing that I had, uh, you know, business degree in, that was pharmaceuticals. Uh, so I worked in in that area uh, for quite some time. Uh, the funny thing is that I transitioned to IT by kind of an odd odd way. Essentially, uh, as part of my, I got recruited from my pharmaceutical job into an advertising agency who wanted people that were you know pharmaceutical executives, and um, I ended up <laughs> ended up oddly enough being the only guy who knew how to do web programming. Um, oh, and this wow. was in the in the sort of the mid '90s, you know, just as the web was coming on, everybody needed a web page. They didn't need to do anything. They just needed a web page, mostly a static web page. So it was fairly easy. So I and a couple others spent our time creating a lot of corporate websites. Um, once I got bored with that, um, I got recruited uh, uh, by IBM uh, to uh, go work with them and, and, and take on a role in some product management areas. And that's kind of how I transitioned from what was really pharmaceutical business development into uh, the IT space. And I've been sort of doing that ever since. Uh, I really did enjoy the, the direct access to customers where in pharmaceutical, you always have this in-between with, with physicians and other experts, rightly so, but it's tough to be a marketer in that space. So that's what I've been doing in product management and offering management and et cetera uh, since then. Um, in IBM, I got a, a broad spectrum of all kinds of different areas that I was able to do, but yeah. Uh, that's sort of how I got here. Um, and uh, it's, you know, everybody comes here a different way. And, you know, the nice thing about security, I think, is that in many respects, um, even though it's very technical, you know, a lot of it is a business decision because, you know, you can have the toughest and the best security in the world, but it's unusable and so inconvenient that you can't get anything done. So you have to really balance, you know, the risk and whatnot. It's really a business decision of how much risk you're willing to absorb and take um, you know, to balance that convenience. So it, it's, you know, having a sort of business background and so is, is uh, I think, a valuable thing to have in the security space. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And uh, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you if you don't understand the problem you're trying to solve from a security point of view, then you're just you're just treading water, really. I, when I have security teams uh, in my previous companies around the place, I used to sit the staff in different groups. So I'd have one person in HR, one in finance, or maybe a couple and sit them amongst the actual business units that they were having to support rather than putting them in a little security operations center all the time and rotate them so they could actually meet the humans they were supporting, understand the business units that, that they were part of and go to lunch and have, you know, coffee and tea and biscuits with them and, and, and eat, you know, uh, birthday cakes and sing happy birthday to people to get to know the people they were securing and learn the business because the technology was useless if they didn't understand the business aspects they were trying to support. Marianne, I was fascinated by your anecdote there of, um, pivoting after you finish your degree to uh, 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 you know, fast fingers and, 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 uh, and keyboards and so forth and making some fun money. I, I, I did a similar thing when I, when I dropped sort of out of uni early and then eventually went back. Um, I, I fell into a space of writing uh, what became a database system, a distributed database for real estate on Commodore PET computers. And uh, it was one of those things where I realized very quickly I, I could write code and people were willing to pay a lot of money for that as Chip did with his uh, web page development uh, because no one's got a new how to program these computers. And uh, my dad had taught me this tough lesson of digging a, about a 10 foot long trench, about a meter, about a meter and a half deep or whatever in clay dirt. And I was like, no, not doing that. 
was there a point though at the end of that whole journey sort of where you where you sort of pivoted and, and was there like a eureka moment or something that sort of really inspired you to go in this direction or was it sort of a fairly organic journey for you as far as the, the transition from your academic path sort of through to where you are now well what was interesting was even though you know fast fingers and taking applications could earn you uh, quite a bit of money at that time frame I wouldn't say it was the most um, appealing job um, to me. You came in every day, the application was the same. And although it gave me good insights into um, good financial decisions to make, especially as I grew up with that being my uh, one of my first jobs out of school, the, ex the opportunity to get into IT um, was very welcome because it took me back to when I was in some classes in high school where the subject topic, just like um, chip and chemistry, it was a chemistry class, which we all know can be fairly complex. And my teacher in that class was able to engage all different levels of the class and bring the class together and get an understanding of the topics that we were learning. And I, was able to see that in IT and security as I progressed in the field, that getting a good understanding of the technology and moving on to the business side and the product management uh, role is the same type of experience. And it's great to have conversations where you can engage the technical folks and the business folks and the strategists and the decision makers all in one room. And, their needs and be able to understand that and then relay that to the engineering organization back in-house. And so I think seeing those things come together and you know, paralleling that to previous experiences was a key moment for me because it was engaging. It's a different problem every day coming to work, unlike the application for mortgages, which was consistent every day, just a different customer in there. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you both sharing so much insight into your personal lives and your academic background and how you came to this exciting role. When we think about leading mainframe security product management, uh, in your case, Chip, and leading the offering that was from mainframe security's point of view, uh, Marianne, in your case, we've got two fantastic brains to throw at these challenges that I'd like to have a conversation about today. And just to recap on them uh, for our audience, we're going to talk about a couple of things such as why to build and how to build adaptable modern security to fit into this you know, ever-changing world we're in now. We're going to talk about how to build the skills around that challenge and the automation that people need to effectively and more strategically and efficiently deliver a greater business value in the security space. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up around some of the key offerings from Broadcom's portfolio and how they go about addressing some of these key challenges and sorts of insights and, and, and experience they can bring to that that people can sort of take away in action. So why don't we kick into the first key topic, which is really, you know, why and how to build adaptable modern security. Uh, Marianne, I wonder if I could maybe bring you in first here from the perspective of the offering manager of the mainframe security offerings. When we think about this whole topic of, you know, why do we even want to build uh, adaptable modern security? Currently, obviously, the world's challenged with a global pandemic. But prior to that, we, we already had enough challenges from script kiddies, so their laptops at home, to the other end of the spectrum with professionally run organizations in cybersecurity crime who are in the business of making hundreds of millions of dollars from you know, malware and ransomware and phishing and attacking systems and getting data and ransoming Peter for that data and, and breaching that data. And now there's even you know, online uh, bidding websites for selling that data and trading it. Um, when we think about this, the higher level business challenge of why do we want to build these? 
uh, and, and why do they need to be adaptable? I'd love to get your take on that and sort of, you know, how you have that conversation with people just at that high level space, uh, just to kick off, if you don't mind. Well, we want the business to be able to use the data that we're collecting. We're, we're collecting data from every which direction these days and lots of it. And it's there for a reason. Um, we don't collect data for the sake of collecting it and locking it behind a, a door and never accessing it. We collect it so that we can make business decisions off of that data and continue to grow the, the business. And in order to do that, we have to make that data available to the people that it should be available to. Now, that doesn't mean that we can collect it and then have it open in-house to to everybody um, from an internal standpoint either. So, you know, following um, the end user expectations of how we manage that data, following all of the different regulations that are put in place to protect the, uh, the end consumer, um, we want to, as an organization, make sure that we follow those areas and have the data at the same time open. So it's a challenge to uh, create an environment, a security environment that makes sure that the data is secured and that it's uh, private and following all of the different um, compliance, different mandates that are out there in today's world and being able to have the data available to department A, B, and C so that they can leverage the data and grow their businesses. Indeed, and it's an, it's an ever-challenging uh, landscape, I guess, and that is that, you know, once upon a time, you know, I guess, you know, uh, back-end systems were sort of terminals in a locker room and a controlled space with a machine and a controlled space and only certain people allowed in to maintain it these days. We've got some of the most agile and flexible user environments of, you know, apps on every possible device we can imagine. They use in all kinds of environments. Uh, you know, the number of times I look at things where, you know, a parent will hand their phone to to a child and say, hey, look, you know, order dinner online with you. And the child's now got the entire device and expected to jump on these little food apps and order stuff. Uh, but what the parent hasn't realized is that they may be a CXO of an organization running multiple billions of dollars of the business. And they're still logged into their email and web app and VPN and other things on that device. And they've just handed it willy nilly to someone to order food, not thinking about all the crossing over security challenge there and everything in between. When you think about this from a product um, point of view, Chip, I wonder if I could get your take on this because I think you know you've got a fairly unique view in this when you think about what you're doing around the product space and 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 the, the types of services you take to the market. Uh, this whole sort of ever increasingly complex world of sort of hybrid IT infrastructure and the increasing demands for the types of access and, and types of data that's there, as Marianne outlined. Um, both in, in traditional enterprise space, but now in sort of more consumer fronting space. What are some of the biggest challenges around this whole space of, you know, why to build adaptable model security uh, offerings and, 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 and how, how are people going about that in your space currently? Yeah, one of the things to kind of think about is that, you know, Marianne and I work in the mainframe space and we focus on that, but obviously we have to stay in touch, you know, very tightly with the entire enterprise and what's going on across that because that's really what most of our customers are doing today. It, it's pretty rare for there to be, you know, a couple of mainframe apps that are just green screen and, and uh, that's all they ever do. I'll, those still run and there are still things that sort of happen at 3 a.m. and tally up all the cash registers and spit out a report. Of course, that stuff still goes on. But, but the real, you know, the big customer data, the stuff that you and I see 
when we book an airline ticket or, or check the balance in our checking account or all kinds of things. You know, that stuff um, runs on the mainframe for a really good reason because the mainframe has enormous performance in terms of the number of users like us that can check our balance at night or, or book an airline flight. And that's why the mainframe remains to be you know, very viable today, right? It's, it's, uh, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's a critical part of many of these businesses. Um, so, you know, it's important to realize that, that as we add these cool new interfaces and the phone interfaces, like you said, and the apps and whatnot, a lot of these things are front ends for the mainframe. Um, they're going, they're getting to the data via APIs or making direct requests, all kinds of things. And they're certainly more modern than they have been in the past. Uh, but the mainframe is, is central to a lot of the things that we use every day. Now, I suspect the, uh, you know, when you're booking your, your, your food, uh, to have delivered or maybe your, your pizza delivery, my guess is that's not, you know, functioning on the mainframe. They don't really need that. But many of the things that you do and have done for many, many years still require and still maintain that mainframe for, for valid reasons. So we, the challenges that we see is that we built these apps in many cases, many of them are 20 plus years old, in a world where the mainframe was isolated, right? It was within, buried within a network and we had lots of cool security that we did and isolated the mainframe. We didn't need it. You know, you'd, you'd, what would you do? You'd, you'd go down the hall to a terminal, type a few things in, spit out a green and white page of report, right? And you were set. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We need to have that data and we need to have it dynamic and ready for us. But the, the design that we did in terms of some of those security things may not really meet the challenge anymore, right? You know, you've got APIs coming to the mainframe. You've got all kinds of other applications that are querying the mainframe, data moving in and out, uh, new data being built on the mainframe. You know, we're facing the same kind of access challenges and, and impact that we've seen, you know, in the Windows days, right? Um, they're not exactly hitting the mainframe because thankfully we've, we've buried the mainframe in, the, in, you know, a very dense network. So, you know, we have some isolation there. But it is something to consider, right? You know, you're 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 bringing forward the mainframe into these new worlds with mobile connectivity and everything else. You know, you need to think about how your security needs to be modernized to face these new, you know, modern hybrid apps, right? Indeed. And years ago, I used to try and sort of visualize this on whiteboards, and I draw a picture of a bank vault locked away in a room, and the appropriate controls around that and, you know, the sort of the traditional onion layers of, you know, it's locked in the basement of the building of the bank and it's between, you know, <laughs> six feet of concrete and lead and it's bomb proof. And then, and then, you know, over the years, eventually I got the point where when I was diagramming it and laying it out in a data center, the mainframe was in exactly the same racks right next to, you know, mid range and, 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 you know, pizza boxes running Linux and had, you know, web interfaces going into it with, with JSON requests. And as you said, you know, APIs coming into it and then all of a sudden, you know, one, one day just sort of struck me, it's like, well, mainframe's just another box in the space and it's now effectively one of the biggest cloud platforms. You know, we can, we can deploy open source tools to it. We can, you know, make calls to it directly the API and people are now putting web interfaces to them. And I think that's kind of changed a lot of our, our landscape there where the same controls are still potentially possible, but it's now sort of one of the, it's a member of the family of the, the front end line as opposed to just now in the back office. When we think about this from the conversations you're having with customers, Marianne, I wonder, you know, what are those, some of those customer conversations like? What are some of the challenges that they're facing now as they uh, are now modernizing their security to, to deal with this transformation of the mainframe being more and more at the front end of the transactional business? Uh, you know, as Chip said, it isn't always the app that's ordering food that's talking to the mainframe, but it certainly is the 
credit card transaction at the end of that process, uh, invariably, right? Yeah, some of the challenges that we hear are exactly what you pointed out, that it is a member of the family and it, it shouldn't be, I don't want to say treated as the redheaded stepchild, um, because that's, <laughs> that's not quite the analogy, but it, it shouldn't be the afterthought. It needs to be part of the initial discussion and the challenge in organizations when it was um, shoved down in that bunker and it's gotten a pass because it is assumed to be so secure and so, uh, you know, you can take your eye off of it and kind of look into other areas of concern. Um, that's the challenge is making sure that it is considered part of the enterprise. It's part of the initial discussions. It's part of the security design that's being put in place in the enterprise and that those discussions happen up front. Do you, Marianne, do you see organizations um, coming to you now where the mainframe's being included in their overall strategy from a security point of view, or are they still segregating in some way? Because a lot of organizations that I've worked with in the last 25 years, when I look at them today, whether it's a bank or an airline or transport logistics, uh, you know, education, health, they still in some ways have, I guess, a generational gap, I would sort of uh, term it as, where sort of some of the old school folk want to segregate the mainframe environment and the data center from all the mid-range and others. And yet on the other side of the world, I'm seeing sort of what I would refer to as the Xbox CIOs who are sort of coming through the younger generation saying, well, why, why are we treating it differently? It should just be part of the same strategy, same roadmap, same controls. What are you seeing out there in the world currently, Mariana, that sort of conversation around where it's been segmented? Are we blurring the lines and are we putting them back together, as you said, a part of the same family? Or is there still some segregation for, for various reasons that people need to be considering in their organizations? Yeah, I'm going to give my take on this and then I, I'm going to pass it to Chip for his input as well. What I see is that it's it's more and more um, coming back into the forefront of the discussion uh, as it should be. And we're seeing, I can't say, you know, 100% one way or 100% the other way. What we see is that the data that has to be analyzed from a security standpoint has to be part of the bigger picture and part of the enterprise. Um, because when you're following a particular regulatory outline, it doesn't just say do this in your distributed systems or this applies only to mainframe. The theme of that regulation or the, the principle and stipulation that organizations are adhering to is just a this applies to your organization. And the regulation doesn't care where you're running that application or where the data is. You have to make sure that whatever mechanism behind adheres to that regulation. So in terms of um, that's kind of combining the data into um, proving that you have, are in compliance. The, how the organization solves the problem though, that at times is still a mainframe centric um, solution. So, you know, some are like, let's take privileged, uh, management and monitoring and control of privileged users. That may be an organization's choice where they say, you know what, we want to solve this on the mainframe platform for a variety of reasons. And so therefore they take the path down to, we can have a solution for the mainframe, we can have a solution for uh, different environments, as long as we have interoperability between the two and we can report from uh, an enterprise um, view. So Chip, Ryan. what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're sort of in between here. There are some that are yeah. treating it still as a separate platform with, you know, the graybeards 
you know, still running things. Um, there are <laughs> others that are, you know, bringing in fresh new talent. Um, and, and then there's others that are sort of managing it as, you know, just another server platform, which, you know, is a sort of a, a blend of, of all these worlds, right? So, you know, interesting thing, you know, uh, that you'll, you'll see, I'll talk to a lot of people who are in, you know, the enterprise space and, and I'll ask them, okay, you know, your job is, I don't know, identity and access, let's say, right? And you go, great. So, you know, what tools you use? And they'll list me a bunch of tools and I'll ask them about mainframe. And they'll go, oh, yeah, well, I own mainframe, but I'm not really sure what we use there. And I go, well, that seems kind of odd. Why do you treat that differently? Oh, well, it's the mainframe. It's secure, right? Right. And uh, so, you know, that kind of get on my soapbox and I, I inform them that, you know, the mainframe is probably one of the most securable platforms, but it's really only secure, you know, as the people behind it. And I don't sort of look at them you know, I kind of give them a wink. But I mean, you know, it's it's you know, you get you got to stand up and, and treat these systems. If you have controls and if you have standards for, say, Linux, you know, why don't you have the same controls in, in your mainframe? Right. Yeah. It, it, it has to be at mm-hmm. least as uh you know, as big an asset. And in many cases, you know, those controls and those processes and procedures have, you know, you, you said the script kitties, right? So we have a lot of interesting and really good security uh, policies and controls and all kinds of cool tools to keep the script kitties and even some of the really other nasty bad actors off our Linux and Windows boxes. But they're just as capable as getting to, to the, the mainframe boxes. So I have to ask my customers, well, why doesn't it apply there, right? It's just a big a target. Um, so, you know, th- this is kind of where we're taking our customers and the th- conversations that are, that are being have, having you know, taken place right now, which is waking up to the fact that the mainframe is, is this server, right? Yeah. And, um, and you need to consider if you haven't thought about security on your mainframe and you're still running your, your rack F, your ACF2, and that's the only thing you're doing, you know, give us a call. We can, we can help you out, right? That's, it's something to talk about and, you know, uh, and, and look at how we can improve things. Indeed, I think, um, you know, the vision of Gandalf standing on the bridge saying, thou shalt not pass, you know, that, that's not going to work anymore, is it? Um, and I think, you know, you touched on a couple of interesting points there, Chip, around um, just the types of controls. I mean, I, I think there's this interesting challenge now of, of reiterating and re-educating in many ways with the greatest respect people that, you know, things like in, in a Unix or Linux world of, you know, users and groups and file permissions and directory permissions and whatnot, and that level of granularity, when you look at it on the mainframe space, the level of granularity is so much deeper and so much broader and so much richer. But if you haven't had that experience and you haven't had that background and you're not even aware of that capability, then it's easy to overlook that and assume that that's not even there because you don't know about it. And I think that's probably, and in fact, I'm keen to get your thoughts around the compliance space, Chip, on a couple of things you spoke about there. Because I think when organizations think about compliance, they start with a clean sheet of paper or a clean whiteboard and start thinking about their checks and balances from like their brand and their company and their share price and the executives and the staff and the customers. And then maybe you know state or regional compliance and then national compliance. And occasionally, if they've got you know supply chain or business in, in parts of the world like Australia and Germany where they've got very tight privacy controls around data, then data can't leave the country or GDPR in, in the EU. And I know California's brought its own version of that out now. Um, this gets very challenging for them. And I, I imagine in your world, um, given that you, you sort of face this compliance challenge on a daily basis, that you're seeing an interesting shift now potentially in, in this, not just awareness, but also the need to react to that. That's true. I mean, especially in in the new world of data compliance and personally identifiable information, et cetera, that we're seeing, you know, pretty much the world over. Obviously, GDPR was one of the first ones. We're seeing the same thing in Japan, 
We see it in Australia, Brazil, uh, here in the United States. It's, it's sort of slowly creeping through the states and it will eventually get at the federal level. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue and it just um, puts more onus on all the teams to, um, you know, they have now have new compliance reporting standards and they have the lawyers, you know, asking them to, you know, fill out certain audit things and go to special training. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're seeing. Um, whether things change in terms of upping their data and their security and whatnot, I think we've seen some of that. Um, but, you know, the way these things go in compliance, um, you know, a lot of what drives your compliance, sadly, but you know, it's human nature, right? What drives it is the fines that come out of the court cases. And as we see some of these GDPR cases come in and the big fines start going in, then, you know, kind of as I mentioned at the beginning, right, that's when the business aspect comes in, right? At, at some point, the fines are going to be large enough or the risk involved are such that you'll then, you know, really bring in some very tight security controls, put up with a little more, um, you know, the, like, for example, requiring, you know, multi-factor authentication for everything you do on a mainframe, for example. These kind of things will be put in place because now they're worth it, right? And, and we're seeing that. We're seeing customers realize that they really have to up the things they do and, and really start approaching and tightening the kind of mainframe security they do in some respects, like they did elsewhere. Right? Indeed. I guess that brings me to my next topic I'd like to delve into, and that is that organizations are telling me that they are con- continually challenged with the, 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 the two biggest things that challenge them are skills development and maintaining education awareness around that space, both technical and business, and how to then leverage all the things that they're seeing in other enterprise spaces around agile and automation and DevOps and so forth. Um, I wonder if we could maybe just tackle the skills component uh, to start with. Um, Chip, when you're talking to some of your clients and, and talking about some of the capabilities you've got, and as you said, you know, rightly so on your soapbox sometimes, which is good fun. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite things to do is when I'm in a, in a room and someone says, well, here's the whiteboard market, go and draw us a picture, because uh, then I can really convey some good stuff. Um, but Chip, I wonder if you can maybe give us a sense of kind of, you know, where some of your clients are at and, and where you see the industry uh, industries as a whole around just building and maintaining skills and awareness of kind of not just the mainframe, but all the challenges around it. Uh, are we sort of seeing a wave of new need for education? Are we sort of seeing some of the older skill sets, you know, retire and, and, and move back out of sort of the workforce? What's happening in the whole space of, you know, to building, developing these skills around the mainframe space, particularly security? Yeah, I think, you know, mainframe, you know, is seeing obviously retirement of skills. And this is, this is not necessarily a new thing. Um, it certainly is seeing that. Um, and as a result of that, you're seeing um, many of our clients and, and customers respond to that by bringing in skilled workers uh, or skilled security people from other parts of the organization. Again, the security skills is really important. We can teach you about the mainframe, right? And they're bringing them in to have responsibility within mainframe and across other platforms as well. So we're seeing these multi-skilled kind of things being developed as people bring in while the, uh, the folks have not yet retired and bringing them in. Now, you know, the realization is, and the truth is that, you know, putting somebody on the mainframe for five years is not going to give them 30 years worth of experience. So, you know, there is going to be uh, some, some challenges there. But I think um, we're seeing a lot of customers react to that and bring that in. And, and you know, just to toot our own horn here at CA Broadcom, we put in a program in place that we call the Vitality Program. And essentially, um, we are actually bringing in customers into our shops 
we have a full education program that we've had for a number of years that that really educates and brings in folks out of the university and trains them to be mainframe experts. Um, and they join our team and help develop and do other things within the mainframe. We've taken that same process and exp- uh, made that available uh, for our customers who can then bring in folks within their organization to be trained the same way we train them. But actually really interesting is that we will recruit uh, people for them, train them, and then bring them back into the organization as employees, as future employees for their organization. So we've done all kinds of interesting things to really drive home this notion of training these people to be mainframe security experts. And I think uh, it's been a valuable program for our customers. Um, But it's, yeah. So there's a lot of things going on out there, a lot of demand for it. Um, but I think um, I think we're catching up and, and we're seeing a lot of really big interest in applying and getting mainframe skills to maintain its its uh, its use in perpetuity. Uh, indeed. And, and I've seen firsthand this. I had the privilege of interviewing a number of the, the folk that went through um, the, the vitality program uh, and certification processes when I was at share uh, uh, recently in Pittsburgh. And uh, it was interesting to see that they were literally just jumping, they were bouncing with energy when they'd gone through this process and realized there's a whole new exciting career path and some longevity in it, you know, because I think um, when people get into business space and they get into the technology space and then particularly whether it's security or, or even just app development, it's a challenging uphill battle to kind of get a job and get the skills to get into something like the Vitality Program and your overarching mainframe academy space with your education. Um, must just be this amazing eureka moment for, for young folk who are coming through realizing that they can almost leapfrog that, that sort of, you know, not getting 10 years experience overnight, but leapfrog that hard slog for 10 years to then go, right, now I can actually get my teeth to sink into this. Marianne, what are you seeing in this space around sort of the skills development and, and, and so forth from your customer perspective? And, and how are you approaching that from Broadcom's point of view that, you know, you've got these great programs around skilling new people into the space. You've got the ability to take existing people and retrain and reskill them and take them into customer sites. You've got these amazing capabilities. Are our customers leveraging those as much as you'd like to see? Are they aware of them? What's your general sense of kind of where that fits into the whole skills development, particularly with security focus? Yeah, customers are leveraging them and um, customers are aware of them. We've got a lot of excitement. I mean, this is really uh, unique, a unique program uh, for what Broadcom is offering to our customer base. And I think customers realize that and are taking advantage. Another point that I want to bring out is Broadcom recently um, started offering digital badges against the education that we have. And I am seeing those pop up all over um, for a variety of different um, you know, solutions that Broadcom offers. And that's uh, very nice to see out there, everyone's skilling up. And I think there's you know, just a general, I wouldn't liken the mainframe to be any more complex than anything else out there. The, rate of IT change each day when we walk into work relative to the Delta when we leave is huge in any space. And I think it's just a matter of saying, you know what, I I can learn this, I can do this. And um, getting a leg up, working with the deep level of knowledge that we've got here sets these folks on the right path and gets them moving very quickly in in a nice environment. You know, Des, it's kind of ironic that, um, you know, what's hot these days in development is command line interfaces, right? Everybody wants yeah. to type on the command line. And that's sort of what mainframe has always been. It's, the, just, it's basically the command line. 
Of course, in mainframe, the hot thing that we're trying to do is put web interfaces on all these tools to make it easy and approachable. So it's kind of ironic that uh, the people we're build web, building web interfaces uh, for want to do command lines. So there you go. In, indeed. Yeah, I, I, that struck me recently as well. And, and I was on a conversation on a call with somebody, I won't name the company, but they... Um, we're sort of coming to that realization as well is that, you know, they went from sort of the, you know, the big iron programmers who were used to, you know, uh, uh, you know, 3270 through to, 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 to deck VT100s to Y75s and then all the way through those text terminal spaces and then from mainframe and Unix and other spaces. And then they sort of went into the click and point building things where no one actually wrote code. You just dragged and dropped stuff in it and it automatically built tools to stored procedures and databases. And that was all cool and groovy. And then we go on full cycle now where we want, refactor every piece of code and we're doing it command line and we're doing DevOps orchestration, whether it's, you know, Puppet or Chef or Ansible or Vagrant and we're putting it in tiny containers and we're, we're putting it into clustering tools like Kubernetes and we're throwing out these spaces where everything's an API and microservices and I was sitting there going, but you know, we've been doing that for like decades in the mainframe world, right? <laughs> you know, and, and they're like, what? And I, you know, and I explained, it's like, you know, at the age of 14, I used to, uh, my favorite anecdote here, I used to forge my mum's signature to get out of school early and waddle down the end of the street and go and work mm-hmm. the evening shift at a mainframe data center for a company called Datacom in a town called Nelson in New Zealand. And you know, uh, you know, put 132 column paper and printers and, and run payrolls and burst the checks in the little machine that used to have pre, you know, pre-perforated uh, uh, checks with, uh, in little envelopes. And you used to have to be careful with your fingers. You'd feed this thing in and it'd go, gudunk, 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 and this little hammer would hit the perforations and throw them in a box so it could go to the post office. And, you know, everything ran in a batch job in an automated process. It was like chronological. It was in LPARs. The code ran in what was basically now a container in you. And I look back thinking, we have gone full cycle, as you said, like uh, <laughs> mod yeah, lines right. are all back in and containers <laughs> are in and clustering is in. And you know, I just, I sit there going, oh my Lord, you know? And so my favorite thing to do with these folks is say, look, can I just invite you to just read a little bit of history of some of kind of how you got to here? Because, you know, virtual machines are not real. Containers are not real. Uh, sorry, new, new virtual machines are not new. And containers are not new and command lines are not new. And, you know, don't assume that you just rediscovered the, 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 the planet Earth because you found the command line on a Linux machine. And then a month later, I'll bump into them and they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> we need the master sheet that translates the different oh, terminology over the decades funny, and ties it? it all together. Chip, when we think about this space, and as you rightly said, you know, people are moving back to the command line in many ways and we're scripting things. Automation becomes something that's on everyone's uh, lips talking about, well, how do we now... Uh, take something that we would normally have a human being run the process and, you know, potentially, you know, back in the early days, a clipboard with a run sheet and you'd be entering commands and whatnot. These days, people want to go automate stuff. They want it to be scripted. They want to run it, you know, in a, in a timely fashion with cron jobs and whatever. Um, how's that impacting the security world? Uh, in some places, people want to automate because they want to remove human uh, uh, error, for example. In other spaces, they want to do it for scale. When we think about the automation piece of this challenge, how, how's that evolving in your world as far as security goes? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, security and automation have a have a tested relationship in that um, automation can indeed save uh, time and money and has been proven to do so. But oftentimes security is not as black and white. Um, and particularly like on the mainframe, if you think about it, um, let's say that you you do something like I don't know, you're 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 used to data leak prevention on your laptop or something. If you try to to send a bunch of bank account numbers you know, to somebody in finance, your DLP process will pop up and say, hey, you shouldn't be emailing these, right? Now, that that makes sense. You may have a good business reason to do that, and you can do an exception. But if you put that on a mainframe, you know, 
transferring bank account numbers around the mainframe into other places is part of running your business. And so, you, you know, if you do these kind of automations in many respects to security, it, it doesn't have the kind of granularity you need. Um, so that, that, that can be a challenge. But on the other hand, um, you know, some of the things that, that we're doing, you know, we mentioned APIs earlier, and we're certainly looking at um, embedding APIs into many of our tools, including the external security managers like ACF2 and Top Secret. And, we, and it's going to, you know, it's a, it's a fairly long project. It won't be happening in the next 30 days or anything or next year, but it's something that we're looking at strategically and, and adding APIs. But you can imagine that where does this come in? Um, you know, our, our new brothers, uh, new siblings, if you will, um, in the Broadcom family are Symantec. And Symantec is one of the leaders in the CASB or cloud access security broker places, which essentially is, is growing up into a tool that allows you to, within a cloud environment, provide you know, effectively identity and access across your enterprise, right? Now, in the mainframe, we'd love to participate in that, where you can, you can do a common set of identity and access rules across all your platforms in a cloud tool, right? Now, um, certainly that's not going to happen, as I said, in, in you know, the, the immediate future. But it, looking out, some of the automations that you can drive and some of the value you can do in helping you manage the mainframe as another server, just like uh, Linux and Windows and anything else, you know, if we can get that automation and get those APIs and, and do that kind of thing, the, the automation you can drive in terms of managing across everything could be super valuable, right? So that's, that's the kind of things that Marianne and I are, are talking about and working with the teams as we begin to, you know, look strategically of where these things are going. So um, I think that's, that's some exciting stuff coming. Indeed. Marion, when you're talking to customers from a, from a, uh, an overall security services offering uh, across the whole of the mainframe division, when you're talking to organizations from, from, from I guess, boardroom down to the operational teams, um, where does automation fit into that conversation? And, and, and are they kind of, are they leveraging it as much as they should be? I mean, you know, there's a whole range of concerns around this, as Chip mentioned, where some things need various levels of oversight and control. And, you know, we've had examples of like high frequency trading, you know, just get a runaway state and then just, you know, collapse markets for a short period of time and have to have humans step in. But at the other end of the spectrum, you, you know, you have to automate 99% of these processes because we just can't scale with human beings touching everything. Um, when you're talking about it from, a, from an offering point of view with regard to what uh, Broadcom's mainframe business division brings to the market, what are some of the conversations with some of the clients around the business space like that you're having and, and, and what sorts of things are they coming to you for as far as the, the types of services and products that you can bring from, I guess, consulting professional services through the actual products they can deploy? They are, they are coming to us with the types of things in automation requests so that they can ensure that they maintain their service level agreements with their um, business lines they are coming to us with requests um, along the lines of, you know, for as much as we are doing uh, internally with Broadcom to build up cybersecurity skills and our customers are partnering with uh, us on that front, we know that there's a shortage of cybersecurity skilled personnel in the world. So part of it also is, okay, we have the data and at Broadcom, we've got a, a healthy portfolio to cover the identity and access uh, life cycle. So data from different aspects along that, um, from the point where we provision a user to what they're entitled to, to the data that they're accessing on there, to monitoring and controlling, look at all the events that are occurring on the system. 
to cleaning up the environment and then peripheral items such as managing privileged users. Um, but how do I tie that data together? And as I lose some of my 30-year veterans on the system who can look at a report, which is just data written out there, I'm losing the insight and the ability of those folks who interpret that data today by looking at something and can point out, oh, hey, I know I have risk there. Whereas a junior person is going to look at that same report and say, well, how did you know there was risk there? And it's because of all those years of experience. So automating some of those items to call out that risk and interpret it for them and do an analysis to focus some of the the folks who are coming onto the platform and learning, um, as well as making the job easier and faster for the veterans out there as well, um, doing some of that analysis for them and then recommending, okay, here's the actions that you should take uh, along the, the portfolio um, is key to being able to sustain. I mean, the, the industrial revolution taught us that uh, automation is the way to go and that changed the, the world for so many of us. And, you know, we know that we can't survive without it. So it's looking into what areas can they automate that they don't have today? Uh, is there a solution there? If not, is there an additional piece of functionality that we can work with Broadcom to build? And we partner with many of our customers on that front um, all along the, the life cycle as well. So different requests there, you know, give me some interpretation, give me an easier way to do what I'm doing today, um, solving the skills gap while I onboard folks and while they get accustomed. So a couple of different areas. Yeah, I like that. Chip, I imagine there's some consistent themes to some of the things that as Marianne was just highlighting that, you know, uh, as, as the industrial revolution taught us that, you know, automation is a great thing. Um, and we learned that through, you know, building everything from cars to, to goodness knows what. But in, in the mainframe world, particularly in security, I mean, there's some consistent things from, you know, basic, uh, I guess, reporting health states. Um, you know, is, is my machine running physically well? Is my security in its appropriate place? Are there any outliers or exceptions that I need to know about? As Marianne said, you know, without the right skills, you can't look at, you know, 20 pages of logs and find the exception. But an automated tool with 50 years with experience plugged into that can just do it instantly and tell you what's, what's red and what's green and then potentially show up on a dashboard. What are some of the consistent themes that people are coming to you now for? Because I, I, I imagine it goes from operational security and user security and data protection all the way through to some of the compliance and regulatory reporting now that they want to automate and say, well, you know, the board wants to know every, every quarter, are we compliant with this regulation, uh, this standard, this, you know, business rule? Are there some consistent themes that are sort of coming to you now as far as that, that requirement and some of the products you can offer that fix that? There's there's some of that we um, we've also seen a big movement towards bringing the mainframe into the enterprise as well. So one of the big movements, um, strangely enough, is incorporating uh, mainframe data or mainframe security uh, events and things like that into the broader you know security operations center. And that's typically th done through you know a sim tool like uh, Splunk or ArcSight or something like that. And historically, mainframe hasn't been part of that uh, for a couple of reasons. One, well, mainframe is kind of invisible, right? The second one uh, is that, you know, mainframe is essentially a data center in itself, right? And it generates a lot of events, as any data center would. And if you're just dumping a ton of events into something like a Splunk, it gets pretty expensive. Uh, they charge by the data. 
Um, and so what they really are looking for is something that can do some discrimination and only pull those events in that are that are most important and actually are something you need to alert the operations center to. And that, that's something that we provide with one of our products called Compliance Event Manager that really um, only sends the events that are filtered and prioritized um, by the security uh, mainframe team. So th- that's been a, a big boon for a number of customers, and, and we've seen a lot of success with that. Uh, we, we also, on the data side, have seen a lot of customers very interested in one of our solutions that we created that's, that's fairly unique in the space. Um, and it's a tool that that really answers a problem that's, I don't know, somewhat unique to the mainframe in that, you know, mainframes have been around for a while and the data that's on them has been around for a while. You know, if, if you have a lot of data on the mainframe, it's not it's not easy like in, you know, you and I are familiar with, with Windows Explorer where you, see, you can see a bunch of folders and drill down into them. Uh, mainframe is not hierarchical like that. It's just a, imagine if you had, you know, a couple of uh, data center worth of Windows boxes and they all reported into one folder. Um, uh, it would be kind of <laughs> like that. And it's kind of hard to find data on the mainframe. And so you, yeah. and a lot of that you don't know. Um, and you're kind of worried that if I delete it, it might break something. So I'm going to leave it alone. And you've had that rationalization for 30, 40 years. Uh, and what data do I have in there? And now that we have GDPR and other things, well, is that data under regulatory, you know, am I going to get burned if uh, we're not protecting that data and somebody figures out that it's sensitive data? So we have a product called Data Content Discovery that allows them literally to scan the mainframe um, and tell them where they might have sensitive data like social security numbers or or passport numbers or NH numbers, NIH numbers, all kinds of things. So, um, so that's something that's been very popular with our customers as well. It's kind of solving one of these problems, as you mentioned, in terms of compliance, where the board and 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 others are very excited when they read reports of, you know, uh, million pound uh, fines uh, in for GDPR in the newspaper, and it's been uh, a, a you know interesting journey with our customers on this. Indeed, it's uh, I described it the other day to somebody that's uh, you know, do you invest in a legal team to keep you off the front page, or do you invest in the appropriate technologies from companies like Broadcom for the mainframe platform to not even give you that problem? Uh, where do you want to spend your dollars? Because at one point you're going to spend them somewhere, uh, and it's obviously the latter. Um, well, we've talked about a number of key things around, I guess you know, the the, the rationale and need to build agile and and and, and capable security. Uh, offerings and capabilities in the business to address the, the real world problem we're dealing with now where security is changing and, and, and transforming. We've talked about some of the great things you're doing around development skills and maintaining education and capabilities from the humans and, and also some of the tools. I wonder if we could maybe now pivot, sort of talk more broadly about Broadcom's portfolio and, and in particular, obviously in the, in the security context, um, because I think you know there's, there's some some long running challenges, as you said, where, you know, when we think about uh, sort of the traditional, you know, sort of desktop server type things or, or mid-range machines, you talk about sort of, you know, terabytes, 100 to terabytes. But when you get to the mainframe space, you're potentially talking about petabytes and data that goes back decades. And there's just no way, you know, the people that, that were working on those systems or the, or the data that went into them may not even be with the company anymore. And to getting those insights is, is, is ever more increasingly important, as you highlighted, with just compliance and operational. But also, I think a lot of companies are looking at now from the point of view, well, what data have we got? And what can we do with that data? And what values in that data? Because I think there's also now, you know, big data analytics has taught us that we can go and look at our data lakes, if you like, and we can glean insights from those we hadn't necessarily need. And, and those are now assets. The data is an asset, not a liability. Um, Marianne, I wonder if I can start with you to sort of get us a, a broad overview of kind of some of the portfolio that you have within Broadcom's mainframe division that sort of address some of these key challenges around 
uh, everything from security strategy through to to just gleaning value from the data you've got in there and uh, beyond just the basic, you know, making sure you don't get hacked, but also just um, you know running those regular checks and balances to see that data is healthy and that the access controls are in place and that the compliance is there. Um, and in particular, the types of products you've got that can address some of those challenges. Yeah. When Chip and I have spent you know years talking with our customers, and what we typically see them do is walk through um, what we call a life cycle uh, for security on the mainframe. And taking a look at, you know, starting with the, you know, you've got users who access items on the mainframe, applications that are running, entitlements that are out there, uh, and provisioning all of that in, through our, our tools, ACF2 and Top Secret. Um, surrounding that, then we look at, okay, some of the, the modern themes with identity and access, and that is, deeper trust in individuals and control and monitoring around privileged users. So multi-factor controls and driving that deeper trust so I know and can be pretty assured the identity of the person coming onto the mainframe outside of static passwords, which are you know, bigger and bigger concern. Um, as well as you know, looking at um, privileged users, which are a big concern. And when we take a look at some of the times that we're in now in the, the pandemic, which caused a big shift from work from home, I don't remember the exact statistic, but I want to say it was upwards of a 60% increase in the number of phishing emails that were going out there to get uh, you know, credentials from folks. So you can imagine with your knowledge workers now shifting to being at home someone clicks on one of those emails, their credentials are stolen, that now becomes a threat in your environment if those credentials are the same ones that are used um, to gain access to their mainframe environment and the work environment. So, you know, almost uh, whittling that access down to the bare bones and then when they get on, causing additional verifications and authorizations to take place to say, okay, yes, you can get to my system critical data sources. You can get to some of this regulated data, which would be a treasure trove if, if it was able to, you know, be downloaded off of the mainframe. So, you know, deeper identity access, uh, um, deeper authentication of users, deeper authorization and checks at, at every step of the way. And then, you know, Chip uh, talked about data content discovery discoveries so that we can understand the context that a user and what are they accessing and, uh, you know, not just perimeter security, but what's in the source of the data. And then wrapping, monitoring and controls. So, you know, as I walk through these things, it's our advanced authentication mainframe that offers the the uh, multi-factor. It's trusted access manager for Z, which wraps uh, monitoring and control around privileged users. It's data content discovery that Chip was talking about, compliance event manager, which will tell you everything that's going on under the covers for your mainframe system, and also offers a level of um, integration and interoperability with the rest of the enterprise so that you can tie all of that data together and uh, get an enterprise view. And then, of course, after, you know, decades and decades of uh, data being out there, we do want to go through and clean up to make sure that 
we don't have things that are left behind that can cause risk in the environment as well. And so we can do that cleaning up IDs uh, and or entitlements on the system and make sure we've got a pristine database and security controls that are allocated to it. I like that. In fact, that's one of my favorite bits of advice, and I'm glad you highlighted that, is that there's always this assumption that mainframes just become a place that you keep shoveling data in and it just keeps piling up. But invariably, one of the biggest challenges I see organizations now coming to is that you know, they, they may have to retain data for a number of years for either a financial or a tax or, or legal requirement. Uh, but if it doesn't need to be in the mainframe, you know, I can archive it, back it up, encrypt it, store it somewhere safely and, and get off the box so that it can't actually be leaked. Um, you know, a lot of companies are now realizing they don't have to keep everything on the platform. Uh, if they need to, they can restore it somewhere and recover it on a, on a you know, mm-hmm. an exception basis. Um, and also you just run out of physical disk space, it gets very expensive. Um, Chip, I know you've got a number of other tools, like for example, you, um, I think I saw there was an offer being run for the mainframe uh, resource intelligence um, and, and a number of other tools. I wonder if you could sort of speak to some of the key tools that you're talking to organizations around now that they can leverage from Broadcom, particularly across your security portfolio, that they could potentially action straight away and say, look, you know, we, we have an unknown, what can we do around the space? Yeah, mainframe resource intelligence is a, a lightweight tool that we do we provide, um, you know, customers can use this uh, for free in many respects. And it's, it's a cloud-based tool, uh, oddly enough, but um, we have a little uh, bit that runs on the mainframe and then you can see your reports in the cloud. The benefit is that it doesn't require you to install anything, but what it can do, at least from the security perspective, is we basically do effectively a health check and it gives you an observation of where you might have some configuration issues and other vulnerabilities you might be not be aware of just in terms of your configuration. And uh, the quick, quick little assessment um, only takes, uh, you know, just a short while. Uh, it can give you a nice report um, that will show you where you might want to concentrate your efforts. In some respects, it's simply just configurations or maybe some settings in your external security manager that would make you safer. In other cases, it may be some practices like uh, deploy and monitoring users and monitoring privilege users, things like that. So um, it's, it's a simple way to get started to really uh, figure out where you might have some issues in your mainframe, figure out where you stand. You might, you might find that you're in great shape. Um, or you might find you have a few gaps that could make you even more secure. Uh, so it's a, a nice little tool that is very simplistic to use. And, um, and uh, we've had a lot of customers give us really good feedback on it. I guess the key thing that I want people to know is that, you know, some of the challenges in the security space, not just mainframe, but the environment around the mainframe and all the other systems about it. Uh, I mean, there's decades of experience inside the Broadcom mainframe uh, business unit that they can draw on. Uh, there's decades of capability into these tools and products. And sometimes these problems are, sometimes they feel insurmountable and we're not quite sure where to start. I think some of the advice I, I give people is just reach out, start a conversation, you know, do it sooner than later. Don't wait till you've got a problem, get ahead of it and know that you can go to sleep at night knowing that you've got on top of this thing and just get that conversation going, try some of the tools, uh, get a partner or integrated it to kind of get that up and running and, and do it sooner than later. It's kind of like, you know, uh, dental hygiene, I sort of put in this space where you know, people avoid the dentist because they don't want to go in all the pain and they think it's going to be crazy and expensive. And then they end up with a problem that's 10 times more expensive and painful. It's like, you know, just some basic maintenance, right? Um, well, I'd like to, uh, I'd like us to maybe wrap up if we can on a bit of future gazing. Um, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people are, are sort of trying to get their minds around, kind of, you know, where are we going from here on in? You know, 2020 is an interesting year. We're only halfway through it. It's in many ways a year that people want to forget. Uh, but 2019 wasn't so different uh, other than the fact that we had a global pandemic this year. 
that some of the basic fundamental business and technology and security challenges are still here. They're obviously, uh, as Marianne said, exacerbated by the, the different working environment. And, and uh, if, we, if there's one thing that's consistent in security, that is that cyber criminals will always look for a, a wedge somewhere and leverage it and, and wiggle it until they find a way. Um, I wonder if I could start with you, Marianne, if, if, um, as a final question to you, if you don't mind. In the next sort of you know, three to five years going forward, if we're thinking about kind of where are we going, what are the big things that are coming over the horizon, you know, assuming that we're going to get on top of this global pandemic and assuming that businesses are going to get back to something that's normal, I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, you, what are some of the big things they should think, be thinking about? What are the conversations they should be having in the boardrooms? And and, and particular, you know, when they reach out to yourselves at Broadcom Mainframe Division, what types of conversations do you want them to be having with you about, you know, kind of where are they going? What is the new normal if you think about over the next three to five years? I'd love you to sort of share your crystal ball gazing sort of view of what's over the horizon and any actual insights that they could potentially take away and then consider putting in place now to, to get them to a better place than they potentially are today. I wish I knew what the new normal was going to be once we come out of this pandemic. That life may be very uh, interesting then. Um, but what I think is that we're going to continue on a path of being more open and have an expectation that we tie data and make it more available and open to the enterprise and continue on the path that we're already on. So we're going to have to find different ways to ensure that we're still secure and still compliant in various areas um, so that we can afford those who want to be, you know, and have access to the data and grow the data. So I think we're going to have to look at things more in context to how they're happening and, you know, where they're happening and who is involved and, and so forth uh, as we look at this. I also think that, um, you know, security is a key component of transformations that can't fail. You know, there's so many change attempts out there, but I think the uh, a key thread between all of them, even if the, the transformation or the, the change that someone is striving for doesn't ultimately um, take effect, you know, hopefully we figure out quickly why it didn't happen or what have you. But throughout each of the change items, we have to have security in the mix and that key piece cannot fail. So I think that we're going to see more proactive measures, more security being included in the design, uh, mainframe being included in the upfront discussions. And, um, you know, you made a parallel earlier um, with the dentist, but I kind of liken it to um, weight loss. You know, weight kind of sneaks up on, on us over time and then it becomes a big problem and we want it gone, you know, in, a, in an instant. And that's not always um, going to happen for us. But if we are very proactive and we do something every day, essentially we get moving, it makes the end goal a lot easier. And so if we take a look at, uh, you know, some of the artifacts that we've got out there on our Broadcom website um, and look at the life cycle and some of the, the items that we spoke to today, if we, uh, you know, get moving on some of those things and figure out where we've got gaps and shore up, we can you know, certainly move through some of these areas and get um, proactivity in place. And then the last thing I'll learn, I'll, I'll end on is going back to some of the skills. You know, if we are um, busy, and we all are in our day-to-day, -day, but if we're not taking 
the time to learn what's available and uh, learn new skills every day. Uh, some of the key things that we hear from our customers is well, we didn't know that was available. So, you know, that's an easy fix. And, and I think uh, just figuring out what's in the environment, making sure you set aside 20, 30 minutes a day to go investigate new areas, uh, new things that are out there, new functionality that you can leverage to make your job easier. I think we're going to see more of that because it's just going to be an absolute need. It is today and, and even more so into the future. Uh, some fantastic points there. I, I do like your analogy to uh, personal health versus uh, dentistry. Perhaps it's my masochistic need to find a, a very <laughs> painful point to get there. Uh, Chip, I'd love to get your take on this. Um, and particularly from, I guess, um, uh, you know, three to five years sort of where we're going over the horizon on security uh, and some of the key things that people should be thinking about. Uh, Marianne, you, you positioned that perfectly. And I, I love your point with regard to just continually learning. I think you know, the, the, the great thing I get from that is that you can't solve new problems with old thinking and, and even, even just some basic homework of, you know, going, you know, for example, for listeners, jump on broadcom.com slash product slash mainframe and just be aware of what's available, what tools you can draw on, reach out to the Broadcom team and figure out who you can have a conversation with to even just table some of the challenges that you're facing because invariably they have solved those. And they have got experience and decades of experience to draw on uh, that you, you may not have in your own, your own enterprise. Chip, for your version of the over the horizon, I'd love to get your sort of sense of kind of what are some of the big things and challenges that are coming up. And you know, when we think about 5G coming out, IoT, and people are dealing with digital transformation, as Marianne said, and dealing with the, the, the shift to the cloud and moving to agile methodologies, as you said before, sort of back, back to the command line. What are some of the things that you think that organizations should be talking about from the boardroom down and some of the actionable things that need to be hitting today to ensure that something doesn't come over the horizon and, and run into them? You know, I, I think um, that's one of the things that, that we've learned in the last several months, you know, with this um, pandemic. And it, it's interesting that uh, a, lot of, a lot of us, in fact, almost all of us were forced to work from home. Um, some of us for the first time ever. Now, Marianne and I, you know, spend, I always say that my office is, is seat 9C at 30,000 feet. Um, but, but, you know, so we're used to, to you know, being on the go and, and working from home, if you will, right? Um, but, but a lot of uh, my customers, you know, for many of them, you know, it, it was assumed that uh, as mainframe people, they had to work in the office. It's the mainframe, right? You, you, can't, you can't work from home and, because the main, you have to be near the mainframe. Um, as it turned out, a lot of our customers were giddy with delight, you know, showing that, yes, indeed, we can work from home. And, and yes, we can follow security. We have VPN. We have all these other things. So, you know, I think that taught a lot of folks that, you know, the, the mainframe is like all your other servers, right? It, it's still accessible. Your network's still available. You can still get your job done. Uh, and we've learned that. But again, the mainframe is like all these other servers. And I think that's that's becoming, and that maybe that that taught some customers a little bit like that. That that you know they can access it from home, and you know, wow, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. And maybe it is like everything else. Now, on the other hand, um, it also probably taught them that you can get to the mainframe um, from outside the network, um, which of course you can. And um, so we're you know we're thinking that there's going to be a lot of interest in looking at some of the security controls that have been developed over the years you know, in other platforms. I'll give you an example. Um, almost anything we do on lots of other platforms in our corporate environments requires us to do multi-factor authentication. You've got an app, 
Maybe you've got Okta, maybe you've got a little Google um, Authenticator, whatever it might be. You dial into your HR program, you got to type in and get a text message or whatever. And that's pretty standard for most of us. But uh, a, a large number of people who, who work every day on the mainframe, you know, they just type in their ID and password. And sometimes that ID is only seven characters long, if you think about it. So, you know, these things have got to change um, as we've proven through the pandemic and the working from home. It's, it's going to have to really improve. And, and some of these controls that are kind of standard elsewhere need to be brought to the mainframe. So my, my thought is that some of these things have revealed to customers and they'll start looking with sort of new eyes of mainframe being just another server. And if it's just another server, why not apply the same controls? So I think we'll be seeing a lot of, a lot of movement in there. Some of that has been happening over the years, but I think the pandemic is really going to bring a lot of interest over the next you know, a couple of years uh, as people really modernize their mainframe security and bring it up to speed and, and uh, we're all better for it. That's, that's my view. And I think it taught that we have to be prepared. Right. Actually, yep. that's, that's a good point, isn't it? It's like, you know, think ahead because as we, as we know, you know, very few people expected the pandemic to, to travel around the world, but um, no, I think that's a fantastic point to end on there, Marianne. That's like, you know, prepare for the unknown because it's, it's going to come at you in some fashion not always as a pandemic, but certainly an unknown new operator, whether it's a, a state uh, entity or, or a professional organization engaging in cybercrime at wholesale now. Um, there are new things coming at us we hadn't even imagined before. It's kind of like an exciting future, but also a challenging future. Well, uh, Marianne Ferno and Chip Mason, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you. Thank you so much for your amazing insights into your, your own personal lives and your backgrounds and your, your current roles and, 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 and what you're doing inside Broadcom's mainframe division. And the, the key challenges around just, you know, where are we going? How do we deal with it? And what sort of offerings can you bring to that? And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon to maybe do a post-pandemic conversation about kind of what the new normal is, because we don't know what that is yet. <laughs> Thank you both so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we will have you on the show again soon, hopefully. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Des.